We love God's word here at New Heights so much that we do it verse by verse. We don't want you to walk out of here with a message from from me or Enos. We want you to hear from God's word. Jesus is the ultimate authority in this church, and the way he practices that authority is through his word. On Sunday morning, we want to make sure we give you God's word. Would you please stand with me as we read scripture? Acts chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, And all were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they turned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here. And uh, it is great to have Pastor Justin back and the team from Israel. We missed everybody. Good to have them back. And never fear, Pastor Justin, Skyline's open. Okay? And here's the thing. They have new nachos, okay? So guess where I'm going for lunch today? It's going to be awesome. <laughs> well, welcome everybody. Good, good to have you here. Uh, it, uh, we're going to be continuing. We're going to be continuing our, our study through the book of Acts, and Acts is this historical text that documents the birth and early days of the church. And last week we talked about and learned that with everything in this life, we are to make Jesus famous. And really, that is, that, that is the, the key to living that full life that Jesus promised to us. It's, we live that full life when we don't make this life about ourselves, but we make it about others. And that's exactly what the apostles are doing. Even in the face of mounting pressure and opposition, they are not only making Jesus famous with their life, But get this, they are making Jesus available to everyone. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. 
they're, they're, they're making, even to the people that want to cause them harm, that want to hurt them. Now, maybe if you hear that, you go, wait, what? Why? Why? Why would Jesus be accessible to mean people, the awful people, the people that want to bring God's people harm? Why would that be? It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Now, I can see like letting the good people or those that deserve to, to hear or know about Jesus, giving them an opportunity and a chance. But the ones that are bad, the ones that are evil, the ones that as you read through the book of Acts, they stand out to be the villains. Like really, that's who we're gonna make the gospel of Jesus available to? It just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem right. But really, when has our understanding or ideas of what should be done ever been better than God's? So today we're talking about it's never too late. Do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I was a kid, time always seemed to stand still. It seemed to take forever for time to happen. I've probably shared this before, but my favorite time of the year is Christmas. And when I was a kid, I couldn't wait for Christmas to come. I loved uh, making those, those little advent calendars out of the, the green and the red construction paper, the chains. But I'll tell you what. Waiting for all 25 of those to get torn off seemed like it took forever. It would never come. But now as an adult, life is constantly flying by. We just celebrated a couple weeks ago my, my daughter's, my, our oldest, her graduation from high school. Like She's going off to college this year. I can't believe it. I, I, I feel like I'm getting older. Time is just flying by where I really wish it would slow down. But I've got this. I, I realize this. I am bound by time. I can't even control time. And because of that, it is inevitable that there will be things in my life that I will either miss or be late to. In my life, I've missed two, two uh, flights. One, I would say wasn't my fault. But we missed the flight. The second one, I would still say wasn't my fault. My wife would say it's absolutely your fault because you didn't listen to me and when we should have left for the airport. But I would say, hey, it's the accident that happened on the way that caused the traffic. I had no control over that. Hey, so I've missed flights. I was even late to a final my senior year of college. I thought the final was on one day, and so I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sitting in a lounge, and somebody from my class walks by, and they ask, hey, when did you finish your test? And I go, what test? And they go, the one that we're taking right now. And I was like, oh, man. And so I was late to a final. I've been late to and have missed meetings before. But as, as I get older... And as time passes, I realize the less time I will have left in this life. And because of that, at some point, there will be something that I am too late for. But 
God is not bound by time. And with him, it's never too late. It's never too late with God. There's a story I want to share with you this morning. The church I grew up with, there was an older lady named Lois Prater. And she, uh, when I was younger, I had, seen, I had seen her at church. I knew of her. But then as I got older, she wasn't around. And I was thinking, you know, she wasn't around because she had passed away. It's just she wasn't really there anymore. And then I realized and heard the story that God was using her to do some amazing things. And so I want to share with you her story this morning. Lois Prater was just seven when she had been inspired by the exciting stories told by Lillian Thrasher, renowned missionary and founder of Egypt's first orphanage. At age 15, Lois had promised God she'd go overseas as a missionary. In preparation, she went to Bible college and started preaching at age 19. But everything changed when Lois fell in love with a handsome farmhand who drank too much. Convinced that marrying him was outside of God's will for her, she married him anyways, determined to change him and still fulfill her mission. Fifty-two years later, Lois's husband passed away, and she had an opportunity to take a short-term missions trip to the Philippines. Now, although she initially thought uh, she initially fought the stirring in her heart by saying things like "I'm too old," and her family discouraging her, saying things like "Mom, you can actually do those things here. You can do a lot of things here at home." But Lois ultimately refused to say no to God a second time. Her first trip to the Philippines was with an organized group for three weeks. For her second, she took 11 women and stayed for four weeks. She went alone for her third trip and stayed for a year, traveling to various churches. One day, a desperate man with seven children offered to sell her his baby for approximately $40. She gave the man money to feed his children and helped him to find a job so he could continue to support them. But she never forgot his face or the shock of his desperation. And that was the reminder that she needed to help her remember that first call that she felt more than 70 years prior. She sold everything, moved to the Philippines, used every penny to build an orphanage known as King's Garden Children's Home. One of the first children Lois took into the new home was a baby she named Albert. His father was in prison and Albert's mother moved into the jail with him since she had nowhere else to go. Three more babies followed in the coming years. Lois took in each child, ensuring that all were raised in the loving children's home. She tirelessly continued her work of rescuing, feeding, clothing, loving, and educating the children until the age of 89, when her health forced her to hand over leadership of the then well-established children's homes to others who shared her heart for the future. But her heart remained with the home and and the children, and she visited often until her death in 2013 at the age of 100. It's never too late. It's never too late. So what about you? Maybe you can relate to Lois's story or some of her story that you, you feel 
you feel that you've never, you feel bad because you've never fulfilled the, the promise you made to God about the calling that he put on, his, on your life. Or maybe you have, you have just tried and tried, but you continue to, to fail. And you think to yourself, why, why continue? Why try anymore? I'm just going to have the same outcome. Or maybe you've had this dream that God has put on your heart, but it just seems too big. Too big to where you're, you're saying to yourself, how, how would I even accomplish this? Or maybe it's just too much or too far down the road that you lose sight of the dream that God has given you. And you think to yourself, this will never be attainable. Or that the only way that this would ever happen is if there was some sort of divine intervention. Or maybe, and this is really where I feel like the focus of today's message is, maybe you've done things in your life. You've messed up. You've hurt people. You've hurt yourself. You even feel like you've hurt God. And you consider or think of yourself as unlovable, unforgivable, or even unredeemable. That you would look at your life the way that Paul looked and described himself when he said, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the worst of the worst. And that's how you might even view yourself, that your life is riddled with shame, with guilt, with bitterness and anger, that you would say, how could the message of Jesus even be for me? Well, I want to tell you, yes, the message of Jesus is for you. And it leads us to our main point today, that if you remember anything I say, remember this because this is such an important truth for you to understand, to believe, and to accept. That if, if you don't, you run the risk of missing out and not receiving the greatest gift ever given. And this is our main point. You are not unforgivable. You are not unforgivable. Listen, the Bible is full of many imperfect people. It's full of imperfect people. And without Jesus, they are doomed. But God gives hope. God gives everyone a chance through his son Jesus. I love Romans 5.8 because it gives a beautiful picture of God's love for us and the chance that we all have. It says this, but, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like understand this for a minute. God's, picture this conversation, God and Jesus. He says, son, I need you to go and sacrifice yourself for everyone. And he says, okay. He says, but listen, here's the catch. You're not guaranteed that they're going to love you or accept you. And in fact, many will still reject you. So you're not doing it knowing that you're getting something in return for it. But instead, Jesus died for you and me, even though he knew that we may reject him. But God's love was so powerful for us. He loved us so much, he still did it, even knowing that some would reject him. But Jesus, and because of Jesus, we all have hope. There is hope 
because of Jesus. And so we see the apostles in chapter 5. And they are they're facing a, a, a lot of pressure, a lot of opposition. So much so, like things are, are starting to get worse. That in just two chapters, in chapter 7, we see the first Christian die for his faith. In just two chapters, we're going to see that. So there are some very nasty, mean, and evil people that the, that, that the apostles are facing. And you would think, well, how could God be for everyone? How could God even be for those mean, nasty, evil, evil people? He is. There's hope for everyone. It's never too late. And so the story, or Acts 5, 17 through 33, is the story of the Sadducees, who are pretty nasty, mean people. But they still have a chance and hope in Jesus. And the apostles are truly living their lives for Jesus, trying to make Jesus famous through everything that they do by giving the ones that want to harm them, the ones that want to hurt them, the ones that want to keep them silent, giving them as well the hope of Jesus. So let's dive right in and look at it. So verses 17 and 18, but the high priest rose up. Now, what Luke is doing here by saying, telling you the high priest, so this is talking about, this is everyone. This isn't just the Sanhedrin. This is the entire council now. Everybody is coming together. It says, and all who are with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So the Sadducees were a religious but also a political group that governed over the, the Jewish people. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so one of the reasons why they kept having these issues with the apostles is because the apostles were speaking about and teaching about the very things that they didn't believe in. And so that caused tension with them. But the other thing is that the Sadducees were this corrupt political group of people. See, the Rome, Rome the, the Roman Empire, they were the authority and they ruled over the Jewish area. And there are, a lot of, there are a lot of Jewish people that hated the fact that Rome was over them. But what the Sadducees did were they... What they did is they basically pretended like they were the ones in charge. They made the people believe that, hey, yeah, the Romans are here, but we're the ones with all the authority, all the power. Even though they knew that the only power that they had is what Rome had given to them. And so what was going on now is that you had every single day, you had hundreds and thousands of people coming in these large groups gathering together around this teaching and there's healings and miraculous signs and wonders happening in these large groups. And the Sadducees were beginning to become fearful that they may not be able to fulfill some of their political promises with Rome because Every single day, Solomon's portico was filling up with people, more and more people. 
And so you better believe that the Sadducees were going, okay, if Rome starts looking over here and going, hey, what's going on over here? And telling them, I thought you guys had control of this. They didn't want to make Rome think that they didn't have control of what was going on in the area that they were in charge and responsible of. So you, you have all of this mounting pressure going on and happening. But it goes on and it says, and filled with jealousy. So we also see Luke gives us another insight into what was going on with the Sadducees. It wasn't just that they were teaching of these things. It, just, it wasn't just because it was political. But they were jealous of the spotlight that the apostles were getting. And they started to become jealous of the attention. They were supposed to be the ones. They were supposed to be the body that the people would look to for answers and guidance. And now many of them were starting to look to the apostles and believe in the message that they were sharing. And so this jealousy is birthed within them. And what we need to learn about jealousy, jealousy is not a good thing. There is a danger in letting jealousy into our lives, giving it, even allowing the seed of jealousy to come in. Jealousy is, is, is different because it's not because somebody did something to us. It's strictly based off of our own envy of something that's happening with somebody else or going on with somebody else that we allow this jealousy to come in and take hold. But jealousy is dangerous. Proverbs tells us this, for jealousy makes a man furious. It makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. And so this jealousy was driving the Sadducees. And what did they do? Driven by this jealousy, they go out to arrest the apostles one more time. But notice they say they put them in, in public prison. I mean, they dared to risk to risk the, the, the people and what the people would think of them. So they, and that's what jealousy can lead us. It can lead us to do things that we shouldn't do. It can lead us to miss the things that God has for us. And so they have the, the apostles arrested. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So an angel of the Lord, Luke is telling us, listen, God can and will intervene. He can move when and wherever he wants. God is not restricted by anything that we do. He has, he has the ability to reign freely and do whatever he wants. And what Paul is doing is he's encouraging all believers in this. And, that, and the angel of the Lord is a divine intervention. It was God intervening in their life. And this, is, this has got to be a huge encouragement. Because know this, we will face hard times and trials in our life. We will. That's what we're promised by Jesus. And so be encouraged that when you are facing hard times, when you are facing struggles, when you are going through life and you feel like you are all alone, know this, you are not alone. God is there with you. 
And God can intervene and he will intervene on his timing when, it's, when he wants to. A lot of times we're like, God, I know your timeline better than you do. Get moving. But that's not always the way it works. God can and he will when he's ready. Nothing will hold him back. And so an angel appears, opens the door, lets them out. And I can only imagine what might be going through the apostles' minds. They're like, sweet, we're out, where do we go? We should probably go and lay, lay low. No, the angel says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. He says, go back to the place where you will most easily be found. And that is a little off for me when I think about that because I, I go, hold on. The, the apostles have been very obedient to God in everything God is asking them to do. They're putting God and others before themselves. But remember, every time that they face this opposition, every time they go before the Sanhedrin and the council, like, they are not sure that they are going to be leaving without something bad happening to them. And even if they don't get sent to prison, it's not like they make it through physically unscathed. Because it tells us, the Bible tells us, every time they leave, they're beaten and flogged. Like there is physical harm that is going on to them. So sometimes we just think, oh, they just, yeah, doing whatever, doing whatever. But you got to imagine, if you, my, uh, Lincoln, this, uh, just, uh, yes, two days ago, went in to have his teeth pulled, or a couple, <laughs> have his teeth pulled. He had a couple baby teeth that needed to be pulled, okay? These baby teeth were about the size of adult teeth, but they weren't. Anyways, they numbed him up, and they go to pull the teeth, and he is, like, feeling stuff. He is, he is crying. It is a horrible experience, you think if Lincoln knew how terrible th that was going to be, he'd be like, I can't wait to go to the dentist. Do you think every time he gets ready to go to the dentist, those things aren't going to flash through his mind? So you got to believe that the apostles knew, like, this isn't a cakewalk. This isn't. And so they're thinking, man, if an angel just come to rescue us, it's going to get bad, so we must go and hide. He goes, no, go back. And this word stand firm, it represents it's stubborn, to be stubborn and to, 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 stand, to stand firm, to not move. And so he goes, they go there. And not just that, but they say, listen, the words and the teaching, the things you've been saying, the things that have got you in this mess in the first place, in this trouble in the first place, he said, go back, don't omit a thing. Say everything that you've been saying. And it says this life, it's talking about Jesus, the message of Jesus. And so he says, go back to where you were, where they're going to easily find you. Keep talking about the things that they're telling you not to talk about, the very things that are getting you arrested and put in prison in the first place. So don't leave anything out. And what can we learn from this? We can learn that, listen, in Regardless of what our circumstances are, we need to share Jesus. Even if the things that we're saying is opposed and could possibly bring about 
trials or troubles, if it's the message of Jesus, we're being told, share it. Share it. So they go on. So they go to the very place. It says, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So now, then it says, now when the high priest came and those who were with them. Now this is kind of, God really has a sense of humor. Like you got to think about this. You got to think about this for a second. Like the Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels. The reason why they arrested the apostles was because they were teaching about the resurrected Jesus, something they didn't believe in. And so they arrest them, put them in prison. Okay, where the disciple or where the apostles are teaching from is they could literally, it's only about 400 yards away. They could look out the window and see what's happening. So here, the apostles are put in jail. The, the Sadducees are going to bed that night going, all right, <laughs> we're going to have our way with them in the morning. And then they wake up and they start getting together. When the high priest came and those who were with him, it says they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. They are just waiting. They can't wait. They're going, all right, bring them in. We're ready for them. Verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. (laughs) So, again, God's funny. I don't care what any of you think. He's funny. He uses an angel who they don't believe in to help them escape. And then sends them back, which if they just turned their head out the window, they could see the apostles are back there teaching. And they're in there going, where are they? And Luke, what Luke is doing and telling us here is he doesn't give us the exact details of the escape. Like, did the angel make them invisible as they walk past the guards? Did he put the guards to sleep? Did he just blind the guards? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us those things, but what Luke is insinuating and showing us is he's pointing to the miraculous. That God used a miraculous thing to help them escape, which is hilarious because the Sanhedrin don't even believe in that stuff. (laughs) So everything was as it is. It's the way it should have been. Everything was in place except for they weren't there. And so they go on in, in verse 24. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. So again, you're like, I don't know how much more you can be blaring something in somebody's face and you would think that they would understand. They're hearing the stories. They're seeing the testimony of, of the healed people that God is doing these miraculous works, but they're still denying that there is associated with Jesus, the the Sadducees don't even let it come across their mind that God had something to do with this miraculous escape. 
So they're perplexed, they're like, what's going to happen here? And then someone came and told them, look. And this word look, it literally means, it's, they're surprised. They are, they don't know, what, how is this? They look out and it says, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Again, some of God's humor there. So then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So whereas the first time they, they risked the, dis, the displeasure of the people uh, with what they were doing, but now they're not. And it says they went there and they were afraid and they didn't take them by force. You see, every time the church faced opposition, the, the church was encouraged. They were emboldened because they would face these things and they'd get stronger. The church would grow more and more. And so you can only imagine the council as they're sending these to be, to be arrested, they're going, hey, listen, be careful because <laughs> we just arrested them and now they're out there and free. The people may be, feel emboldened and if they want to turn on us, they could. They could turn the crowd on us like that. So they made sure they went there. But here, again, is the thing. They didn't need to use force because the apostles were going willingly. Which, again, just a testament to that they are being obedient to God and making sure that Jesus is the center and focus of their life and not them. Because they knew what they were walking into they were probably not going to come out of unscathed physically somehow. But they still did it anyways. They did it for the message and the hope of Jesus. It goes on, and when they had brought them, they, sat, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned, this, questioned them. Now listen, this again is bringing about the severity of them going before the council. This isn't just somebody going, hey, would you come in here? We want to ask you a few questions. No, this, this was the authoritative law body of the land. If they decided that they would be punished or put to death, like that's what would have happened. And so we see the high priest is the one that started the interrogation and the questioning of the disciples. And he goes on, he says, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. So he's reminding the apostles, they said, listen, just a few weeks ago, you were in here because of what you were doing and we told you, you were not allowed to talk and teach about the name. And again, notice, once again, they're not using the name of Jesus. They refuse to give credibility to Jesus. He says, yet here you have filled Jerusalem. And with the word filled, what it's doing, it's bringing credibility to the fact that the church is growing rapidly. That they are seeing the effects of the rapid growing church of those coming to know Jesus. But you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What they're doing is they're now charging the apostles with vengeance. They're saying, look, you're gonna, they were afraid that they, they would turn the crowd because what have they been preaching? They've been preaching that Jesus is the son of God, resurrected son of God, and that the Jewish leaders killed him. And so they're saying, it's your fault. Well, the funny and ironic thing is that months earlier, when at Jesus' trial, and Pilate goes, listen, I got nothing. 
I can't do anything. And they say, hey, don't worry. His blood's on our hands. <laughs> but now they're going, hey, don't try and put this on our hands. They're trying to charge the apostles with vengeance. But here's the thing. The apostles aren't looking for vengeance. They're not looking for vengeance. So Peter says this in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So he's basically repeating the same statement that he, that he used the first time he was before the council. And what he's teaching us and telling us is that any time, any time that there is conflict between obedience with God and obedience with man, obedience of God always trumps. And so Peter is not denying his disobedience to the ban, but he's denying the legitimacy of the ban. And he's basically, he basically says, you're right, the blood is on your hands. It's, it's your fault. As he moves on here, he says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on the tree. So, the Sadducees are going, listen, you, you're, you're going to try and turn everybody on us because you want vengeance for what we did. And Peter and the apostles go, hey, and, and guys, catch this is the heart of the message today. The apostles say, listen, neither God nor we want to punish you for what you did. They don't. The, the Sadducees were being offered forgiveness. He says it, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging on a tree. But they didn't want, they didn't, they didn't want that, but they were pointing out, yeah, it's, it's your fault. Listen, God, God initiated salvation through their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It was through that bloodline that Jesus would come about, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Jesus was vindicated by God through his resurrection. But it was the, it was the Sadducees and the rulers that got in the way of what God was trying to do and they resisted the work that God was trying to do, and they put Jesus to death. But now Jesus is resurrected, they still deny that, but they are still interfering and trying to work against God in stopping the spread of the message of Jesus. So it is their fault. It's absolutely their fault. But then Peter says this, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God's not looking, he wasn't looking for vengeance on, on the Sadducees, on that council. He was offering them forgiveness. He was offering them hope. You see, it's because of Jesus. It's God exalted Jesus. And because of that, by exalting Jesus, he made forgiveness possible and easy. For everyone, because of Jesus, that God exalted him, that Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the leader. He's Israel's prince that opened up the path to eternal life. He's the savior. 
He, he defeated evil. He conquered evil and he secured life before God. You see, God offers, sac- or God offers salvation, not retribution for the cross. He offers salvation. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. What we did, what we do, that is the whole reason why Jesus was put on the cross. But guess what? It's not held against us. It's an opportunity for repentance. That's what it's all about. It's that opportunity to have that. And it's the gift that God gives to us. You are not unforgivable. You're not unforgivable. Moving on to verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Because Jesus is the only way for salvation The apostles said, listen, we can't be quiet. We have to share this message. But he goes even further and he says, listen, the Holy Spirit is also witness to it. See, the Holy Spirit will convict and draw people to Jesus. Guess what? If we're not doing our part, guess what? The Holy Spirit is still a witness. They're saying, hey, you not only... You not only have to deal with us and every other believer that is going to share about what Jesus did, but it's it's more than just human. You got the Holy Spirit doing it too. But how cool is it that we're able to be a part of God's story of bringing redemption and salvation to the world that is lost and dying and needs a savior. We get to be a part of that story. We get to do our part. So they say that, I mean, this is this great showdown. You're like, wow. Like the apostles, they're not, you'd think that they'd be bringing it hard, but no, they're like, listen, forgiveness and salvation, it's even for you. And you go, all right, what happens next? They all fall to their knees and they ask for forgiveness and they repent, right? No. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. This word heard. It's not that they were writing notes or anything and they only heard half of what they were saying. No, the word heard means they heard it and they understood it but they still rejected it. They still rejected Jesus. Now, at the very beginning, what was causing this? There was jealousy. And that's a danger. Again, that's a danger of jealousy that we could sit and hear. The Holy Spirit could be speaking to us, but we could still reject because we refused to give up things to God. That's what happened here. They were enraged. They were angry, so much so that they wanted to kill the apostles. You are not unforgivable. There's still hope. There's still hope. So what do we do with this? If you are here today 
and you know Jesus, then you just need to keep going. Be encouraged, be emboldened. Make Jesus famous with your life. Continue to share because we've got a job to do. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you feel like I am like one of the Sadducees, man, I am unforgivable. I'm telling you this. Jesus has already forgiven you. You just need to accept it. Remember, while we were still sinners, he died for us. He already died for everything you've done and everything you will do. You just need to receive his forgiveness. He's already given it. All you need to do is to accept it. For many of us, we we can't comprehend that. It's too hard. You need to realize this. This is for you today. Jesus has already forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself. Receive and accept the forgiveness that's there. It's time for you to come home to Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet this morning as we as we're closing, as we're preparing for a, a, a time of response. I want to invite our, our prayer teams to come up and be ready to get in place. If you if you don't know Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe it's, maybe it's not because you don't feel like you're, you're unforgivable, but it's just you've never made that decision before, the time is now for you. But maybe it's you've never made that decision because you do think you're unlovable. I'm telling you, you're not unlovable. Jesus loves you. His forgiveness is there. All you must do is receive it. So I'm going to encourage you, if you want to, for the first time, you need to make that step towards Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come make me clean. And make me whole. I just want to invite you to come out of your chairs and come find, even right now, come find a place and just pray. If you want to pray with somebody, we got prayer teams here. They would love to pray with you. But you're in that place. I don't want anybody to leave here this morning without knowing that you are forgiven. All you need to do is receive it. So I want to invite you. You need to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and surrender your life to him. Come and find a place to pray or come and pray with one of our prayer teams. Maybe you're in this place and you just say, hey, I, I know Jesus, but I just need some more boldness. God has got a plan for me. He wants to use me. I want to encourage you to come and find a place to, to pray. Maybe there's some things you need to just surrender to him. Or maybe you just need either a renewing of the Holy Spirit in your life or for the very first time be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've got prayer teams that want to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's here. He wants to move and do something in your life. But all of us should have some sort of step to take. Maybe the Holy Spirit's just been tugging on your heart about different things. You know what it is. These altars are open. Is there something special about this? It's a representation of where God's presence resides. But God is with all of us. But sometimes we just need to step out. We need to take that, take an actual physical step to solidify what God is doing.
in our lives and in our hearts. So I want to invite you guys right now, Heavenly Father, we just pray for every person in this room. We pray for every person that might be watching online. Lord, I pray specifically for those that are carrying the guilt and the shame of sin in their life that has kept them from saying yes to you. God, would your Holy Spirit right now show them. Show them, God, that they are forgivable. That you love them, that they've already been forgiven, and that they just need to receive it and they would surrender their lives to you. I pray for those that just need healing of just letting go of the past so that they can move forward for their, with their future in you. I pray for those that are seeking a fresh renewal of your Holy Spirit or for the first time the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their life so that they can be bold and empowered to make you famous in all that they say and do. God, we honor you, we thank you, we love you, and we give this in our lives to you in Jesus' name. 